Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Leah Diana, and today with my boyfriend and co-host, Son Tetro, we will be winding back the reel to... 1999. Ichabod Crane is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the decapitation of three people, with the culprit being the legendary apparition, the Headless Horseman, in Sleepy Hollow. Let's not lose our heads getting into this one. your superiors explained to you only that the three were slain in open ground their heads severed from their bodies taken by the headless horseman taken back to hell he rode a giant black steed to look at him made your blood run cold even today the western woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture we have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everyone in this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my man. I'm not used to. Female company? Murder! The Orphan's killed again! The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? Perhaps there's a bit of a witch in you, Katrina. Why do you say that? Because you've bewitched me. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers! Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. trying this again we recorded this for what almost an hour and we weren't feeling it no it was 
probably the worst we've ever done trying to do one of these episodes. And, and we did release one that I think wasn't great, like in the beginning. Yeah. Like within like 10 to nine, like number 10 to number 19. But we were like, yeah, we're still new. We're still doing this. Guys, if you have a formula set up for anything, follow your fucking formula. <laughs> yeah, this the first time we tried to get through this, it we tried to skip over breaking down the movie and it just didn't it didn't really work. <laughs> I mean, we did not break down last week's movie. Yeah. But I believe that now that I've had time to sit on it, it really didn't need to be broken down because it was more of a psychological thriller without knowing it actually is. It actually breaks down your psyche to where I, side note, we watched Taxi Driver yesterday in real time. I had the night to think about it. You went to work today for a little while. I was alone. And it really made me think. And I'm kind of bit off my game today. So I kind of blame that. Taxi Driver really fucked me up, man. Fucked me up. Um, but... Take two, we're gonna try this again. There were some funny moments in the last one, but uh, a lot of us just kind of sitting here going, the fuck do we do? I was stumbling over every other word, and even you were just having trouble, kind of. I also think it doesn't help that this week's movie, by comparison, is so much more cut and dry. It is. It is Tim Burton. This week, we watched Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, starring Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Miranda Richardson and Christopher Walken. Those are our main plot people. Um, I really wanted to go into it the same way I did last week because I had fun talking about Taxi Driver that way. This movie's too cut and dry. While I'd like to hit the same plot points, we did because we had some good points. I also think we were kind of like noodling it like, ooh, let's see what happened. We can't do that with some of these cut and dry well, movies. I don't think this one is one that you can analyze the way we were able to analyze moments of Taxi Driver. Yeah. This one, everything is, it's basically by the book. If you've ever read Sleepy, The Legends of Sleepy Hollow or seen the cartoon yeah. growing up, it's that plus a little more. Yeah, that's all it is. And it's not, it's, it's not complicated. With that being said, it is not a bad movie. We're not saying that. No. We're just saying that every now and then, even your two favorite hosts you listen to can fuck up. And this is an example of going from an art piece movie that really kind of speaks to you on a different level to a, what I would call fun, nice, like little Halloween movie. And I really thought the contrast would be fun. I thought I'd be able to segue the same way, but honestly, some movies you can't do that because they're not something that you have to be like, well, Ichabod Crane was feeling this way because you know, when he was a child, yeah, no, it, it, that's true. Like, there are backflashes back to his childhood. Flashbacks. Look, you speak how you want, <laughs> I'll speak how I want. Backflashes. Backflash. <laughs> um, but there are um, flashbacks. I almost said backflashes again. <laughs> there are flashbacks to his childhood because they added to the movie to give it more substance because the cartoon is like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, it's this super short. This is a good, like, hour and a half, almost two-hour movie. You know. All right. So I, with the help of, you know, the internet, uh, I'm going to break this shit down for you, but we're also going to hit the points that we were talking about in the previously recorded. So before we dive into the breakdown. You got to hit the, the, the topic points. Topic points? So Sleepy Hollow was directed by Tim Burton. It's based off, it's from a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, based on the original story, uh, 
The story for the movie was written by Kevin Yeager and Andrew Walker, but it was based on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Mm-hmm. That classic tale that I've never read. I read it when I was younger. I, I And it was one of those like, oh, I, I want to read this because I saw The Adventures of Mr. Toad and you saw The Adventures of Ichabod Crane yeah. and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. You know, they're classic Disney animations. And then I read the book and I was like, oh, oh, oh. And I believe I have been to Sleepy Hollow before. I've seen the covered bridge. I don't know if the covered bridge is still there. It is. It is still there. There's uh, a, there's I think a, they moved it, though. There's a different covered bridge in, in New Hampshire that collapsed, if I'm correct. Yeah. I used to go up to New Hampshire, Vermont, all those places, New York years ago. Maybe the cover, like the bridge itself is still there. I think they might have removed the cover. What was the point of having a covered bridge if you remove the cover? Well, I think like it was in disrepair so they like kind of built like made the bridge itself functional but mm. then like the cover they just kind of we have to down. research that because this is know. one town that i'd love to visit yeah i i've never been i've always wanted to go but. funny enough i was like oh it's one of those new england towns i want to hit but uh for anybody that knows this new york is not part of new england no no new york is if i'm i may be wrong but i have heard that new york is not part of new england oh okay me. I guess that would make sense. It's a little further north. Oh, okay. Why is New York not part of New England? This has always driven me crazy. This is from a Reddit user. New York and New Jersey were originally both part of New Netherlands, which was a Dutch colony, not an English colony. That makes sense. That does make sense because when you think of New England, I include New Jersey and New York sometimes. Just yeah. because, like... We're so close to New York. It's just through Connecticut, you know, the construction sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump jump away from here. Like, New York City is by train, a couple hours, by driving, maybe five, six hours tops. Even to get to New Jersey, which I go to for concerts all the time. It's not really that far away, but... And again, I live in New England, and to New Englanders, if you drive more than 15 minutes, you are inconveniencing everything about their life. Yeah. Not us. We don't care. So this movie was... This movie originally came out November 17th, 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, it was made on a budget of $70 million and brought in a box office of $207 million. Now, having released when it did... That makes this... This movie came out on the tail end of our parameters for For this podcast. So, as we've said uh, many times before, uh, we essentially on here cover movies that came out during the era where Grindhouse movies still exist... Grindhouse theaters still existed. So, we're talking anywhere from 1920 to 1999. Uh, Grindhouse is kind of faded into obscurity by 1995, mm. but we gave ourselves that couple extra years to just have a nice solid bracket. Yeah, because there are still what are classified as, as real Grindhouse movies in the later 90s. Um, quick question for you. When is... The movie Grindhouse. When did that come out? Oh, not until 2000. 2000? 2005 that's or like, 6 or something. That's I don't Robert remember. Rodriguez, and Rose McGowan, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, if yeah. I remember. I've always wanted to see that movie, but I also knew that that wasn't quintessentially 100% what a Grindhouse movie was. Right. 
I always heard that that was the like popularized version of what Grindhouse may have been, but it's not a true Grindhouse. No, it's their version of mm. Grindhouse, which it comes very close. Oh, Tarantino's half of it comes very close to what actual Grindhouse movies were. Mm. Rodriguez's is similar, but it he definitely adds some modern flair to it. His okay. his own over-the-top ridiculousness to it. You're telling me Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino are tame directors? No. no. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. So, um, there are actually, and we missed this for our original recording, there are tons of fun facts that go with this, from historical to little tidbits of information. But what I want to do before we get into this and I go step by step is I would like to touch upon the all-star cast that is in this freaking movie. Yeah, this movie is populated with some heavy fucking hitters who surprisingly didn't really become heavy hitters until after this film. I mean, they were actors, but they weren't like... I didn't know their names, but when they popped up on the screen, I was like, are you kidding? He's in this? He's in this? Oh my God, it's that guy. Holy shit, it's that dude. It's that lady. Like, it was really kind of cool to see where they started versus where they became in very popular franchises. And there's no better place to start than with our two protagonists, Ichabod Crane and Katrina Van Tassel. Katrina, not Katarina, Leah. Katrina. <laughs> Remember that. Uh, played by Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci, who I think both did an incredible job in this movie. Yeah, they they did. I, I love Christina Ricci's performance as um, Katrina in this movie a lot. Um, there was a fun fact you mentioned before that made me laugh where... Johnny Depp found it very odd and off-putting to be her love interest when he met her at nine years old, and she's only like 18 or 19 at time of filming. Yeah, it was in the film Mermaids, I believe. Yeah, Mermaids. 1990. Another Uh, movie we need to check out because Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Mermaids? Hang on. (laughs) Yeah, that must have been an awkward situation to be in. It's like, I've only known you since you were nine, but let's make out. Yeah, and, um, you know, your dress is so tight, I get to see the top of your bosoms the whole time. Great! Sick. <laughs> Sick. I gotta go. <laughs> Did you know that Christina Ricci was my girl crush growing up? I did not. People talk about their sexual awakening. Um, definitely had to be Christina Ricci and Winona Ryder. It was that moment where I was like, wow, she has dark hair and... She's really pretty and ooh, and I just kind of went. I think I think she's hot. What do I do? Lady what do Boner. I do? Oh my god, Lady Boner! Here you go, <laughs> jump. Um, but yeah, she was definitely my one of my big girl crushes growing up. Obviously, besides Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> uh, but that was a story way back when. A um, couple other people that pop up right in the beginning. Uh, Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Oh, the late great Sir Christopher Lee. I don't, was he knighted? I don't, I don't remember. Did the late queen knight Mr. Lee? But did you... Uh, so, we're introduced to Christopher Lee. He's in literally in one scene in the movie. Mm. And he's 
He plays like a judge, I believe he is. And uh, I feel like Tim Burton was having a little bit of fun at Christopher Lee's expense in that scene, whether he knew it or not. Because if you look, uh, he positions him in front of this statue of, I think it's like an eagle on something or something. But, mm. And then he frames one of the shots to where it's looking directly at Christopher Lee. And he, the way it, it's positioned, it looks like he has these big wings coming out of his back. And all I could think mm. of was that your homage to Dracula. Oh. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Sort of like the scene where Daenerys is coming out of the ruined, uh, the ruins of King's Landing yeah. and she's got Drogon's wings. Very similar. Ooh. Um, I, I love Christopher Lee. I have. Um, we really should cover his version of Dracula on the podcast. Oh, eventually, yes. Uh, we just don't own it right now and I we, keep... Uh, I think we have some of them. Do we? I think so. On DVD, yeah. Oh, I have that huge 50 movie collection too. Uh, I don't know if they're in there because those were ha- he did the Hammer era. Oh, so we did get really lucky at a thrift place, um, our thrift place, which we will not mention because we don't want you people going there. Because if you take, if you fucking dab all my tapes on me, I'll be so fucking. Pissed. We will be taking a trip very soon because. I've graduated to doing stairs, guys, and I have to practice, and my house doesn't have handrails, so (laughs) I have to be careful. But we are going to go visit our favorite thrift place, and we got really lucky, and I think we found like five or six Hammer movies. Yeah, uh, I think most of them were mummy films. Yeah, mummy. Oh, I found The Invisible Man, and then I found another one, which I was really, really excited to find, because I liked The Invisible Man. We did never watch the new Invisible Man movie with Elizabeth. Sh- uh, no, but Elizabeth I really want something to. Like, was Elizabeth Shue? No. no. Uh, I forget the actress. Oh god, it's The Handmaid's Tale girl. She was also in Mona Lisa's Smile. Then again, every every one of those girls was in Mona Lisa's Smile at one point. Um, but yeah, the movie opens up with Sir Christopher Lee. He was knighted. Um, kind of berating. Uh, Ichabod Crane for wanting to use scientific methods because he found a body in the river and he said oh you know there has to be another cause of death and he goes no he drowned therefore we don't need your bullshit science like we know what happened to these people go 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 to be fair there is a scene before this so the movie opens with the death of uh, Van, Van Garrett Van Garrett and his driver yeah. or no Van Garrett and his son are killed first in the opening which honestly I always forget about it because it just sets the tone for, for Sleepy Hollow yeah, it, so they set it kind of sets the tone for what you can expect because it, we also get our first decapitation in that scene mm. and literally when I tell you if you haven't ever seen this movie when you go to watch it expect that every single time someone gets decapitated which is almost everybody it is shown in full detail oh my god and they even get up close at one point when he has to examine uh the neck wound of the person and they get right up in there it looks like if you cut a piece of uh round eye steak and it's just the steak and then the bone in the center (laughs) like it looks like steak it is I think this was the first movie I'd ever seen where you actually got to see decapitations in full view and it happened every single time. Like it is what really cool. What was the cool. rating for this movie? 
Um, that's a good question. This was... I don't think I have that information. Oh, rated R. It was rated R. Okay. And your mom and grandmother took you to see this when you were like 10? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Ladies, we need to talk. That's, uh, That's worth mentioning. Like, this was one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters. That is an interesting note. Um, so it looks like the gentleman who directed Hellraiser Bloodline, Kevin Yeager, or or Yeager, is one of the people that wrote this. And if it's the same Kevin Yeager, he's also a visual effects artist. Is he? Let's uh, let's look him up. I don't Mr. know if it's Keeker. the same one. Special effects artist known yep. for Freddy Krueger's makeup and the Crypt Keeper. Look at you. Now, biggest question I have, did he ever work with um, George Lucas's company? Yeah, I believe so. Was he um, Light and Magic? I don't think he was part of Light and Magic, but I think he worked with them. Oh yeah, he definitely did. Because there's a bunch of bunch of stuff that he would have worked on in here. There's a movie called Rumpelstiltskin. There's a horror movie called Rumpelstiltskin. Yes. I definitely have to check that out. I love the story of Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Steal them babies. Alright. Where were we? We are going over... We're going to hit a lot of the, the points that I wanted to talk about, so we're going to stop and start and um, I'm using the internet, so I don't have my own breakdown. I make quippy notes about stuff, so I'm not using my personal breakdown. So forgive me if I miss stuff like the beginning one. Um, we Once we see that Ichabod is like, all right, uh, I have to go to Sleepy Hollow to investigate these decapitations. We see him head up to Sleepy Hollow. Um, I do want to touch on the music. Okay. The music in this is definitely, and you said it, is a driving force for the story. Yes. Uh, This one, so the music was composed by Danny Elfman. No surprise, he almost always works with Tim Burton. Always works with Tim Burton. And in this movie, he, I feel like he did something really cool with the score, because he kind of, he includes this almost... Like choiry, haunt, haunting vocal score throughout mm. the entire movie, and it gives it kind of gives the film this life force. Like yeah. this, it makes it feel uh, it's it's got a spookiness and eeriness to it. It kind of sets you on edge right from the beginning. In the happy moments, it brings that chorus up. It makes you feel light. It makes you feel happy. But in the darker moments, much like Danny Elfman does in all of his movies, it it brings you down. It gives you, like, hopelessness. And, I mean, I've never been that big of a fan of Dan- Danny Elfman. Like, as I've said before, I'm not a Nightmare Before Christmas fan. I don't mix Halloween and Christmas, man. It's just, it, it's not right. Um, <laughs> But... I do like some of his music, and this is the one where I really do like the music in, because I like period pieces, and this is definitely a decent period piece, not one of the best. Um, the other one I want to touch up on is The Close. 
specifically the, the women's clothes is where you see a lot of the visuals. The men's clothes are very typical, like Ichabod is wearing his Ichabod crane clothes, the black with the white shirt, you know, very normal. Uh, the men are wearing, you know, the, the trousers that come to right below the knee with the socks and the coats and their wigs because it is $17.99. But the women's outfits are gorgeous, these beautiful corsets, um, beautiful dresses, like full length almost gowns that they just wear just casually i want to be the one of the, i want to be one of those bitches i want it to be normalized to walk around in a corset with a bustle and a full gown just to go to the supermarket you think i'll get looks <laughs> a little honestly if i go to walmart do you think i'd get looks still yes really yeah dude i'd be the classiest motherfucker walking in there Excuse me, I need to find the fluffernutter. To be fair, that's not hard to beat. <laughs> Here in this place? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I live across the street from a Walmart. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Since you mentioned you, you're kind of uh, steering into the look of the movie. So something I'd like to bring up is that this is a very, it's a very dreary, very dark film. And that's not surprising, given it being Tim Burton. Most of his movies are. Mm. However, this one, it almost feels like the color is drained down so much that it almost feels like it's in black and white. Mm. Minus a few pops of color, like Orange, the blood. yellows, and red. Yeah. That's what you only see. And I will say, I just thought of this. This is... Polar opposite visually to another Tim Burton film, I believe, is Big Fish. Yeah. That movie is gorgeous. The pops of color. Like, it almost doesn't do it justice to watch Big Fish black and white. This movie, you could have watched black and white and all you'd be missing is the, the color of the blood. Which is a beautiful, if I would say, mix between a really cheap dollar store red crayon wax and crayon... Crayola blood red paint for kids. Like, it is so exaggerated and thick of a color that you almost... It doesn't really, to me, count like blood. Like, we watch a lot of horror movies, and we see a lot of blood. Like, we watched Hellraiser. That looks pretty real with the blood, and it is intense at moments. This is just like, oh, okay, somebody just went with yeah, the paint. This is, It's highly stylized. Mm. And I think that adds to it so much more like it gives it its own flair mm. especially since this is a movie where you're seeing people's head get cut off literally every other scene and they are not afraid to and shout out to the special effects those heads are impeccably beautiful especially for a few of the bigger characters that get decapitated yeah it they literally could have been buried in the ground and had their head just up. And it wasn't. It was just a prop. And I'm like, that must have been so intense to make just those replicas of these people's heads. Especially in 1999. I know. Damn. <laughs> Fun fact. Mm -hmm. Did you know that this movie is executive produced by Francis Ford Coppola? Get out of my films, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, I thought that was prevalent because I think you mentioned him last week. For yeah, some reason. I mentioned him and Scorsese. I'm not a fan of. You know, anytime I hear the word Coppola, I get a chill. Like, I know his daughter, Sofia Coppola, became a director, and I hear, oh, Sofia Coppola's new movie, and I go, Egh. 
And it's like, you know Nick Cage's real name is Nicholas Coppola. Eh. Like, I just... Eh. They give me the heebies. And maybe it's because they've said some, like, not nice things about films that I like and appreciate. And I also think, like, some of the things they've said is, like, look, great, you had some wonderful movies that got awards. Wonderful. Get off your fucking high horse and look at how cinema changes. Yeah, sure, you could have the most greatest artsy film that changes the world. Don't shit on a franchise that brings up people a lot of love and got them through a fucking pandemic. It aggravates me when people are like, these aren't real movies. Fuck you. <laughs> Bet you don't say that when you're watching a porn late at night because you can't get it up without one. Whoa. Whoa. Shots fired. Pew, 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 pew. You're wondering when it was coming back. It comes back right there at that moment. It never left. It didn't. It, it, what are you it just, it just about? makes reoccurring appearances. The bam, 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 bam. I think it was from like clubs years ago where somebody would be like, yeah, turn off the music. And then just hit the button where bam, 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 bam. And people would be like, why does this have to be in the middle of my song? Anyways, um, back to the ensemble. We find Ichabod coming to Sleepy Hollow. And he gets to the town. And as he's walking through the town, it is dreary. It is cloudy. It is just literally in black and white. There's literally no color in the town until he gets up to Van Tassel's manor. And you open the door and the color is there. It's warm. It's bright. It's inviting. The music swells because a little. Because this is where everybody is. It's a celebration. Yes. All the life in the town is literally is in this place. And all the people that don't want anything to do with that are at home, shuttered, don't go anywhere. And this is where we are introduced to the rest of the all, the all-star cast. Yeah, quite literally within this next couple scenes. Yes. We're introduced to the five main uh, big players in the town. Yeah. So like any small town, especially at that period in history, there are major major influences within the town. So mm-hmm. you've got, uh, in this case, Baltus Van Tassel, his wife, who's just Lady Van Tassel, mm-hmm. his daughter, uh, Katrina, who there? Uh, I f- he he actually has several. He used to be a farmer, and then he like kind of rose to power within the town. Yeah, he actually does several different things that they list off. Yeah, he he lists off a lot of them, but like Ichabod Crane, we were not paying attention to that part. Yeah, and uh, so Baltus Van Tassel is played by Michael Gambon, who Dumbledore. Yeah, we know is Dumbledore in the Harry Potter franchise. That man's voice is unmistakable. I wasn't even looking at the TV when he showed up and I just heard him talk and I was like, Dumbledore! <laughs> um, we meet Lady Van Tassel who's played by Miranda Richardson. Another Harry Potter alum, Miss Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter. Um, in this same scene, we also meet Jeffrey Jones playing Reverend Steenwick, I believe it was. Who yeah. is... Uh, predominant figure in a previous Tim Burton film in the 80s. He is... He's the father Dietz. in Beetlejuice. Yeah, Mr. Dietz. I forget his first name. I want to say it was like Roger or something. Roger. Keep going to the next one. I'm going to see if you're right. Um, We also be 
Magistrate Phillips, played by Richard Griffiths, who, if you know Richard Griffiths, he, he's been in a thousand things, and I literally can't specifically hone in on any of them. Um, the, the biggest one, he's another Harry Potter alum. He plays Vernon Dursley. Oh, that's right. He's Uncle Dursley. I was like, I know he's in Harry Potter. Who the fuck does he play? Uh, his name is Charles Dietz. Really? Yes, Charles. Oh, yeah. Because now she I goes, can hear Charles! If you, I have it on a thing. I will live here. I will live in this house with you. But if you don't let me express myself, I, uh, no. <laughs> Damn it. If you, if you do if not you don't let me, let me gut, gut out this house and, and make it my own, own, I will go insane and, and I will take you with me. We <laughs> love you. I love, I love you so much. I made a painting, a small painting of this, and I'm actually going to make a bigger one with the Beetlejuice colors because I want that quote in my house. I need it. <laughs> Because when we finally have a place of our own that we can do whatever we want to, walking into our house will be like walking into a gothic black and orange and red thing just threw up on you. On the outside, it's going to be like, oh, this doesn't look too bad. You're going to open the door and you'll be like, dear Christ, Christmas. I'm sorry, not Christmas. Sacrilege. Halloween threw up in this fucking room. (laughs) And it will be her quote above something you know how people are like home sweet home live laugh love it's gonna be like i will go insane and i will take you with me (laughs) in these beautiful letters (laughs) back to it also in this scene we meet dr lancaster played by the infamous ian mcdarmond do it our Emperor Palpatine. Oh my god. And that man's still going. He's still going. He was going. in the last three movies as Palpatine. Yep. And you know what? It didn't matter because he was supposed to look kind of like burnt electrified leather, so it was fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are briefly introduced to Brahm, who is played in this movie by Casper Van Dien, which a lot of people will know from things like Starship Troopers, which Leah absolutely loves. I hate, loathe, nay, if I ever see the copy of Starship Troopers that we own, because we own a copy of it, I will burn it to the ground. I hate Starship Troopers so much. Look, put it on your digital thing, and then it goes, bye-bye, shoddy boy. No. Bye-bye. Now. You leave it alone. Now. I hate that movie so much. Thinking about that movie makes me itch. And you know what? I will be honest with you, I have no good goddamn reason to hate that movie. I hate that movie on sheer stubborn principle that I am a pain in the ass. That's it. There must be some weird trauma with that movie in my brain. Yes. Because every time I see that cover of that Casper Van Dick face with the gun and the helmet going, Aah! like, I am just like, burn it. Burn it, burn it, burn it, turn it around, don't let me see it, throw it in the back, make it go away. And we are also introduced to Notary Hardenbrook, played by Michael Goff, who almost everyone will know as Alfred from Batman. Which I had such a good reaction in the first recording because I didn't know that. Because <sighs> I'm looking at him going, why is he so familiar? Why? I don't understand. Oh my god, he was... Sir Arthur Holmwood in Dracula in 1958 in the Hammer films. Him and Christopher Lee have a reunion. They do. Well, technically, no, because they're not in any scenes together. 
foot. Oh, I didn't know this. He also was voicing Elder Gutnich in Corpse Bride and the Dodo in Alice in Wonderland. Oh. Interesting. <gasps> he died? Yes, he did. No. He was in Doctor Who as well. Well, he's a British actor. I guess uh, (laughs) we have five sets, four actors, and one location. So once Ichabod Crane gets to the house, he's kind of trying to make his way in to find uh, Balthus Van Tassel (laughs) because he's been summoned to the town to investigate these murders. Yes. And he's making his way through this party, and he has to kind of cut through this game that's going on. The Pikachu Witch. Yeah, where Christina Ricci is blindfolded, and she's kind of... People are circling her, and she has to, like, grab somebody. Catch someone and kiss them. Yeah. The Pikachu Witch. And because he's moving past, she grabs him. And... This is kind of where they're introduced. It's like this kind of sweet little moment that Brahms absolutely hates. Oh my god, his fucking asshole is on fire! You, you just, just see him fuming oh in the background. And he's like, who the fuck are you? Johnny Depp's like, who the fuck are you, bro? Get I wish that, imagine if they actually talked like that. Oh my god, so what you're saying is Romeo and Juliet it from like Leonardo DiCaprio days? That's in our wheelhouse, by the way. Make oh, you God. watch Shakespeare, baby. Oh, God. Um, Romeo and Juliet, but opposite, where it, they don't talk like that. He's like, "What are you doing, with my lady, bro? Huh?" And instead of kissing him, she just haul out, dry humps him, and like goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna twerk on you." Woo! Be such a different movie. God, fuck no. Oh my God, this <laughs> needs to happen. Somebody make this movie. Ruin this movie. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> She she kisses him on the cheek and pulls off the blindfold, realizes that it's not somebody she's ever she, seen. She thought he was joking when he said, I'm a stranger. And she's like, oh, then let me give you a kiss. Ha ha. What the fuck are you? Because <laughs> like, she was like, oh, shit. And th- at this same moment, her father and stepmother come out and they introduce themselves to him. He gives them, I think it's like a summon. Yep. Uh, and... They all retreat to, I believe it's like the library or yeah, his the office. Yeah, the study or his office or some shit, yeah. Um, to kind of discuss why he's there. And in this scene is where we're introduced to the legend behind the horseman. The, the, the legend of... Oh my god, what did they call him? The, no. The Hessian. The, Hesse, the Hessian. Um, the Hessian is... Beautifully, I'm being paused. The Hessian is played by the legendary, remarkable dancing king known as Christopher Walken. Ayo. Is that good enough? Mm. Oh. All right, you do it. Come on, put me on the spotlight. Do it better than me. <laughs> Don't bitch out. Come on. Do it. Do it. What are you scared about there, Sean? Why don't you try it? You're talking to the guy all wrong. <laughs> the wrong tone. Do it again. I'll stab you in the face with a soldering iron. Ooh, kinky. Let me ask you something. <laughs> Does your mother sew? Boom! <laughs> what is that? Get her to sew that! <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> it's from, uh, he plays this guy in Joe Dirt. 
I have never seen Joe Dirt. Oh, God, it's awful. <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> but we're going to have to watch it, apparently. That and Step Brothers. I feel like those two movies are the same thing. <laughs> Just stupid comedy. But yes, Christopher Walken plays our headless horseman in this movie. Or at least in the flashbacks. Yes. I, I believe that uh, Christopher Walken is not that tall in real life because this horseman is fucking huge. Actually, I think Christopher Walken is fairly tall. I don't remember his exact height, but I think he is fairly tall. There is... No, not Christopher Lee. Wrong Christopher. No, that man is huge. He's kind of dead now, so... Let's see. Wikipedia is not good for, like, information like that. Christopher Walken's heat. Six feet. He's only six. That's still pretty good. That's still pretty... But that man was, like... I want to say with all the garb on and the shoes, he had to be at least 6'8", 6'9". Yeah. Because you think about um, in the flashbacks, like he's already wearing the big boots and he's got the huge broad sword and the teeth filed down to look like points to look menacing. They're like shark teeth. And he doesn't even talk. He just goes, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh boy, run away. Um, and he's very, very scary. Um, so in the flashback, um, we learned that he was a fighter. Or, he was like a ruthless warrior. Yeah, he. but he was a uh, the Hessian, uh, a brutal, sadistic Hessian merchant sent to America during the American Revolution who loses his head during battle. So does that mean he fought on the side of the British? I don't entirely know. Because I think the people that come after him are wearing blue coats. Hessians were German soldiers who were artillery auxiliary to the British army during the American Revolution. So oh, he so was yeah. a German British soldier. He was fighting on the side of the British in the Revolution. Okay. Okay. That adds some context. That does add some context. And that's why he's the Hessian, which is the German word for, I guess... Yeah, German word for something. Oh, actually, yeah, so uh, one of the actual fun facts I have here is that the idea of the Headless Horseman actually dates back to the Middle Ages in Europe, largely in Celtic and German folklore. While Washington Irving's Horseman can be considered the most famous, most areas of the United States during the time of the story publishing had their own stories of the Headless Horseman. Irving's is said to be inspired by the headless body of a he- of Hessian Jaegers, who was a renowned sharpshooter and horseman, uh, who was found in Sleepy Hollow. And the real Van Tassels buried him in an old Dutch burial ground in an unmarked grave. Damn! Which I believe you can actually still visit now when you go to Sleepy Hollow. I think you can actually visit the... Visit the um, at least the area where they believe he is buried. Nobody knows exactly where, if it's unmarked. The unknown grave, it is still there. 1788, Sleepy Hollow, Worcestershire County. See, that's cool. Yep. Huh. Located in Old Dutch Churchyard in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Hey, sweetie. I know where we're going on vacation. Yay! Woo! I also think it's uh, it's pretty cool that um, Christopher Walken apparently got this role and 
later confessed to um, Tim Burton that he didn't know how to ride a horse. <laughs> It's like we're we're hiring you to be the headless horseman. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> how the conversation went. Hey yo, um, Timmy. Did I call you Timmy? I've never actually ridden a horse before. Oh uh, yeah. Nay, I uh, I've never really ridden them, so uh, good luck. I can't do Christopher Walken. It just evolves into something so <laughs> stupid, so stupid. Um. So during the backflash. Uh, we are introduced to the Hessian. Backflash again. <laughs> shut. I watch a lot of Korean and Japanese stuff, and I think ass backwards. What do you want? I read my books from right to left. <laughs> I say a lot of words in English that don't make sense. There are some words. Example. When I'm frustrated, you will hear me say under my breath, Aitsuno. I say it all the time. It is Japanese for like, oh, for the love of God, or oh, Jesus. Like, it, it is an exasperation. It's a phrase. Turn a phrase. I will say it out loud and people will be like, what the fuck does that mean? And I will look at them and be like, what do you mean? What does it mean? Don't you understand what it means? I just said it out loud. I will say words in Korean. Like, oh, shit. Um, can you pass me the gochujang? And you'll look at me going, what is that? The gochujang. It's the pace and the, the, you got three different paces in here. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Like, pass me the paste. Which one? You got three different paste in here. The red one. You just say, pass me the red one. Like, but my brain processes like, okay, say this word. I hear it in English in my head, but I say it in a different language. This is what happens when you learn languages, kids. You forget your native language. <laughs> you really do. Um, so I'm going to say backflashes and you can't change me. <laughs> Flashbacks are now called backflashes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yep. Um, so in the flashback, we see the Hessian running away from American soldiers. And he's running into the woods, and he meets up with these two little blonde girls. One of the girls is holding sticks, and he just goes, shh. And one of the girl holds up the stick and snaps it as loud as she can and watches them kill him. Because they stab him, they behead him, and they bury him, and she watches it. And you're sitting there going, the fuck kind of shit is up with you, chicko, chicko, chickity, to watch this at, like, six to nine years old? That's what we came up with. I believe they're six. You said they were, like, seven. So. I said they could have been, like, seven. I don't fucking know. They're young. Yes. Look, if you're under 10, you should not be watching people be brutally murdered, Sean. I mean, I did at three. And I turned out okay. Fucking bullshit. It's fine. Everything is fine. I don't have fucking mental trauma. <laughs> Emotional damage. Emotional damage. <laughs> Fuck you, TikTok. <laughs> Um, so then it's described that they buried him out in the woods uh, with his head and his sword and just left him there in an unmarked grave. And everyone in this town is convinced that he has returned and he is killing. And Ichabod, being a man of science, is like, uh, no, 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 no. There has to be somebody behind this. Well, all of these men can be right at the same time because thus ensues Ichabod. Like, there's a lot going on in the next couple of steps, so... Um, Ichabod wakes up the next day and come to find out um, a man named Jonathan 
Matt Mitman. What was his last name? Jonathan uh Masbeth. Masbeth. Yeah. Mas Mas Masbeth. Um Jonathan Masbeth, who was keeping watch over the town, uh was killed the night before. And something I wanna make note of is the fact that they this story it took Ichabod Crane and kind of turned him into this like sort of timid scared Sherlock Holmes type of character rather than just being like this weird little guy yeah like in the in the animated series everybody remembers him as like the lanky skinny I would describe him as um who's the dude Doug Jones I was gonna say who's who's Billy Butcher Doug Jones kind of person lanky stringy quiet dude into this like more of a I'm a man of science don't hurt me don't look at blood don't even talk to me like which is actually kind of funny because uh historically Ichabod Crane was a very unattractive man yeah but and Johnny Depp offered to add prosthetics to his face to make himself look ugly but Tim Burton decided that he wanted to base the character on Crane's more unattractive personality traits which I think was the right way to go. I mean, I don't even think his personality traits were that ugly. I mean, no, once he, they go into the back, the <laughs> once they go into the flashbacks, he was like squeamish and eccentric. Yes. So it was like back then it would have been unattractive to be that way. Yeah. So I think that was I think that made the character more interesting than just being like an unattractive man. Like, oh, I'm a I'm a world-renowned scientist, but he's got a face that only his mama would ever love. Yeah. Like, in the cartoon, he's got this huge fucking honker of a schnoz. Big noses are sexy. It means only one thing. You can smell everything. (laughs) (laughs) So, the next morning, uh, Ichabod wakes up um, to find out that somebody else has been killed. Um, Jonathan Masbeth. So, he goes out to where all five of the gentlemen of the town are to take a look at the body. And he kind of analyzes the crime scene. He's like, okay, the track started here and then they went around and they galloped and they turned back around um, to collect the head, which all five men say there are no heads. We only have bodies. And he's like, oh, well, how do you know it is this Jonathan man? Well, it's Jonathan. We know what Jonathan looks like, even without his head. Um... And then he's looking at the wound. He's like, when it was cut off, it was cauterized. There's no blood. There's no anything. It's just a clean, like, it's just been cauterized. There's a clean wound, no blood, no evidence of like. As if the blade was red hot. Yeah. From hell. And that's, I think, what the magistrate says. From hell. Devil's fire. Devil's fire. I love the little old men in this. Like, <laughs> this is an atrocity. Yeah, but you guys are all calm and cool and collective that this has all happened. Like, nobody's really freaking out until, like, the town notary is like, ah, I'm gonna die. Um, and then you see uh, they bear- they go back and they bury uh, Masbeth and his young son, who, unfortunately, his mother passed away the year before, has no family, so he offers his services to... Ichabod and Ichabod first says, no, that's okay. Um, We we don't need to do that. Uh, Not until Mr. Dursley, I don't remember what he played. 
Dursley? Yeah. In what, this? Was Mr. what was Mr. Dursley? Um, was a magistrate, I believe. Magistrate. Um, he yeah. tells Ichabod, I can tell you this, four people were, four bodies were buried, but there were five murders. Which gets you like, what's that mean? Starts to thicken the plot a yes. little bit. So then he goes, young Mazbeth. Let's go. We got better. We got, we got work to do. We have to exhume the bodies. So they exhume all four bodies. Um, and he looks around. He goes, all right, Van, um, Mr. Van, son Van, Garrett, Mr. Van Garrett, son Van Garrett, Jonathan, the widow. Okay. Let's take a look at the widow. He notices there's a scar on her stomach. Um, and then he goes, examines the body, and she is with child. So not only did the headless horseman cut off the widow's head, he stabbed the baby to kill the baby. Which I'm pretty sure if you cut the mom's head off, that baby's not surviving. No. So it was just a little more insult to injury to whoever is behind this. And might I say, damn you's an asshole. <laughs> um, so at that point, Ichabod is like, okay. There's something happening. There's a plot going on here. Um, at this point... Oh, so... Ichabod is like, no, this is done by a man. This has been done by somebody. Um, so he goes to visit the magistrate to be like, how did you know? Like, what what's going on? And he kind of, like, shades him and is trying to run away. And then the horseman comes and kills uh, the magistrate just right, right in front, front of him. And he literally freaks out. Oh, my God, there's a horseman. This is perfect Johnny Depp performance. This is where we know Johnny Depp. And and that's kind of the cool thing about this movie is, like, though it's very dark, it's very serious, Tim Burton still allows for that levity that he's famous for. Like, that whim- slight whimsy to all of the mm. characters' performances. Do you believe, as two individuals that have seriously dark sense of humor... We would get along so well with Tim Burton. Yeah, I think we would. I, I these days I hear that he's slightly. These days I hear that he's slightly lost it a little bit, but I don't know that for fact. I mean, so it might be harder <laughs> to get get along with him. But I don't and know. And it, it's this that I love Johnny Depp for because in the middle of the scene where, you know, he's catatonic, he's like. There's a headless horseman. You don't understand. There was a head. He's a headless horseman. This is what we've been telling you. Yeah, we've been telling you the whole time. No, you weren't there. I was there. Like, yeah, we 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 know. And the three of them. It's, um, Masbeth. It's Katrina, and it's her dad. And they're all like, Yeah, we know, bro. Like, you good? Um, he takes his time to kind of freak out, and even um. Katrina is like, oh, I guess he's going back to New York, huh? Or Masbeth says, guess going back to New York, like, it's over. And while he's deliberating, they're actually d- downstairs discussing, like, all right, I'm going to go to New York and try and get us somebody who's actually going to help us. Yeah, like, okay, like, we, we've got to figure this out. Like, this is, we're losing people. He comes down all, like, let's Full do this. And vinegar. Oh, yeah, he's like, all right, if it's supernatural, it's supernatural. But he says one of the best things, he's like, someone is behind this there is always a reason why this guy just can't be like willy-nilly he's picking off certain people and that's where i'm like okay this is kind of where the movie starts to to get a little bit more of the uh the ball rolling so 
um, Ichabod, Masbeth, and Katrina go into the West Woods to see if they can find the horseman's grave. Um, well, Katrina's not there at first. It's just Masbeth and Ichabod who go. And Katrina, because none of the other men in town wanted to go, she shows up and they have a very wonderful moment at her old cabin that's now burned down and decapitated. Um, and she's like, my mother taught me how to draw and how to read by this fire. And she's making these beautiful symbols, which cut back to when uh, Ichabod saw the horseman and blacked out. We see a flashback of his mother and him as he's a child. And his mother is making the same drawings that Katrina's making. And, you know, you see... In front see of a fire. In front of a fire. The same fire place it looks like yeah almost the same fireplace um and you you get a sense that he doesn't say anything for a little while but you get the sense that his mother is kind of a green witch like she dabbles in something that isn't the holy bible that these god-fearing people do and it's this kind of moment that you're talking about where they they actually sort of introduce this like kind of underlying connection Mm. between Ichabod and Katrina yeah that like they build on a little bit throughout the movie where I don't know it has something to do with like that cottage where she grew up and the drawings that she's doing that her mother taught her how to do Mm. because his mother did the same thing with him and it looks like in front of that same fireplace and it's it also later connects to the big the villain reveal of the film which None of it is ever fully explained. It's just kind of all these hints that, like, there's somehow a connection there. I think the only connection is a spiritual connection via, like, being a green witch or a white witch. I don't think it's anything more than that. I believe the fireplace that his mom is in front of is just a symbol of, you know, hearth and home. Like, she's there to take care of her son. She's there to protect her home, that kind of thing. I, you had mentioned it before in the first run through we were doing, and I thought about it a little more. I'm like, I don't think there's a connection connection between the two more of they're just kindred spirits kind of thing. I mean, maybe, but I feel like some of the details that were being shown, like I, I can forgive the drawing thing as like, all right, maybe both their parents were like practicing of like because natural back magic. Then it was really unheard of for women to be reading and writing and educated so so like those things it's like okay maybe there's like that kind of connection there so they both were being taught similar things Mm. but it's the archer in the fireplace was it in the fireplace at it's in the fireplace at at the the burned down cottage but is it with um the the flashbacks it's in the flashback too is it yeah, you see it when they're in front of the fire. They do it like a quick glimpse of it, I'm pretty sure. And uh, then later on, it's like with the big reveal, they mentioned that the last name of the villain used to be... Their their family name was Archer. And then she, Christina Ricci's character, Katrina, connects it back to the Archer mm. in the fireplace. So it, it's this strung together connection, which... I wonder if there was more there mm. that they cut out. Like some kind of element that tied them all together, all the characters together somehow. 
I would love to know that, but unfortunately, I never will. <clears throat> I'm trying to, huh? Very interesting to know that there is a fireplace company called Archer. So it's really hard to find any information. Uh, of course, there is on this. Um, but there is a um, ending, like explained article. Okay. What is that? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. We decided to explain what happened. We're going to analyze the narrative element of the story as well as the meaning of the final scene and how it connects to the mystery of the movie and the fate of Ichabod Crane. Okay. Oh, God. This is a long article, and it's basically breaking down the entire movie. Oh, Jesus Christ. So it's doing our job. I should just read this word for word. Wow, that was that was a waste of time. So I don't think there's really any meaning behind it. But I feel like there had to have been something there in the script. Okay. So there is an image parallel and there's no archer in the fireplace behind his mom. I could have sworn that they showed it at one point. But it shows the parallels between the two of them. She's surrounded by color. She's surrounded okay. by color. So how about the this? blindfolds. How about this? I'll yeah. give you this. If there's no direct connection, perhaps the idea was that it, if I'm right and you do see the archer in his flashbacks. Yes. Perhaps the parallel is that he is because he sees similar traits in Katrina that he felt with his mother growing up perhaps he's connecting current reality with his dreams yeah because they are flashbacks but they are few one of the flashbacks is literally fueled by he's stabbed and he's you the next thing you hear when he's dead you need to rest the fever is upon you so he's he's basically having fever dreams so it is possible you do see the archer in the back but is that something that Tim Burton meant for you to see? Or is that something that we see as like, oh, hey, is that is that supposed to be there? I don't know. We overanalyze everything. Yeah, we I said it last week. But <laughs> seeing those pictures, I didn't put those together. The parallels between his mom and her. So No, it makes a lot of sense. It does. Like, oh, okay, the first scene you see of his mom is the same first scene you see of Katrina. Is her doing the, her hands out, her swinging. So what if, what if they are not dreams, but his mother giving him premonitions? Okay. Watch out for, or be aware, this is what you're going to be looking for. What if his mom was completely different? What if the image of his mom we're getting is something she projected for him? If she really was... A witch of that time. That makes sense. To where she's like, this is, trust this, go for this. I, I'm going to send you someone who understands your soul, who will understand you, who will be okay with your mind of science, but still want to open your eyes to the possibility of magic. Okay. Boom, lawyered. <laughs> I Jason Siegel that shit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Um, so go up to the woods. We find 
Fuck you, Wikipedia. You just messed me up. This literally says, Young Masmuth, Katrina, and Ichabod uh, venture into the western woods, look for the horseman's grave. They find the witch living in a cave. Yeah, it happens so a little do, differently than that. So but. Katrina is not anywhere when this happens. So they do hear humming, the boys hear humming, and they venture into a cave. Um, he tells Massif, Massif, stay outside, you know. And thus starts the only scene we have a problem with in this movie. Yeah, so uh, before we actually get to this, the detail that we're talking about is mm. I have to I want to mention that I really think they did a great job with the visual effects in this movie. Yes. Amazing. So there is computer enhancement throughout the whole thing. All of the the decapitations are done using computer effects for the most part, like in combination with practicals. And they're seamless. You can't tell yeah. that they're um they're CG a right. lot of the times. And uh they do a lot of really cool stuff. Like one of my favorite moments is right before Mathisbeth's father is killed. They actually show he's like looking out in, into the western woods in his like guard post thing. And you see the fog drift out of the woods and reach out with like tentacles yeah. and extinguish the flames. Like that's really sick. And like there's all these like they do... CG with the the tree branches a little bit later and mm -hmm. stuff like that and it all looks really good. This scene has the only moment that I think is just over the top and I wish it wasn't in the movie. It's like Tim Burton put his his weird signature on the movie there, but it really shouldn't have been in the movie. It, I, it takes it takes away from the story for me. It pulls me out of it a little. Yeah. Um the scene is they go he goes in there and um Basically, he doesn't really get anywhere with the uh, the crone. I think that's what her uh, uh, the crone witch living in the cave. Um, he doesn't really get anywhere, but she makes a spell like, "Oh, I'm gonna tell you what you seek." She chains herself to the wall and like, "Oh, I can't reach you. Okay, I'm gonna do this." She's like, "He's coming. He's coming." All right, who, who's coming? You know, uh, she sniffs the stuff and she gets this weird, gruffy voice. And says, you know, uh, keep going down the trail till you get to the marker. Look for the dead tree. You'll find his grave there. And the the veil comes off and it's it's googly eyes, like weird purple googly eyes and a tongue to scare him. And then she lands on him yeah, and tells him all the like info. They're popping out like they're like independent of her face. Yeah. And then her face is all craggly it, and cracked and no eyes or, or it, mouth. It looks like something out of fucking Ariel Monsters. It really like, does. It's stupid. And then the next time you see the crone witch, she has this beautiful white veil on and she has this white, white face, blonde, blonde hair. And she has scars all over her face. You mm. can tell. But she's very beautiful. And it's like, I would have been okay if you kept that because obviously showing her face is a very big reveal. Yeah. Um, but if they kept that on that and kept her struggling, it would have kept me more in the movie. There is a supernatural element to it, but it's not um, a Beetlejuice type supernatural yeah, element. It's, it's more of a, 
it's more of a, is this man's mind really playing tricks with him? And that's another thing that I thought of earlier when I'm, I was cooking dinner in between recordings. I was like, maybe he was just because, or I said it before, maybe it was because he was alone and Maspeth wasn't with him and his imagination was running wild. He thought he saw this when actually it was just her struggling against these bonds. It's possible. It's possible, but I also want to be like, Mr. Burton, and... You made a choice. Didn't look It was good. a choice. <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't the best, but I can forgive you because this movie's pretty bomb. So it is what it is. I will say it's far less noticeable on VHS. Uh because our copy oh, oh let me tell you about our copy. Oh oh it is it starts up and it has the green wavy bar. Like people that watch tapes when we watch tapes as the green wavy bar where the tracking's not really working really distorted. well. It's distorted. And then while we were watching um, the three trailers, did we mention the trailers in the we beginning? We didn't. We didn't mention the trailers in the beginning. So, yeah, that, and I have to say, I absolutely miss put, going to put on a movie and having to sit through trailers. You have to sit trailers. through three to five trailers before you can even watch the movie. Oh. And this movie started out with uh, the trailers for Mission Impossible 2, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and a movie called Angela's Ashes. Angela's Ashes looked like a very serious um, piece about uh, immigrating to America, um, Irish um, Irish family trying to immigrate to America. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, I always thought was a magical movie. Magic movie. It is not. Uh, I finally saw that trailer and went, I don't know if I want to watch this. And then Mission Impossible 2 came on, and I was a big MTV watcher back then. So it started off with the... From Lincoln... Not Lincoln Park. Limp And I laughed because I was like, oh my god. I remember the fucking hype for that movie. Tom Cruise went on TRL. Limp went on TRL. It was the biggest thing. Like, the start of it is, like, him with the glasses being like, this will self-destruct. And it's like... That wasn't Michael Caine, was it? No, it wasn't Michael Caine. No, it's Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, and he's throwing the glasses, and he's climbing, like, fucking, uh, yeah, not Yellowstone. Help me. He's rock climbing he's somewhere. He's rock climbing somewhere that's really deadly, and I'm, like, sitting here going, I still hate Tom Cruise so much. But, like, I remember that one little, like, trailer brought back so much flashbacks of being obsessed with MTV as, like, a young teenager. Like, I don't even know you understand. You don't understand. I watched everything on MTV. It never turned off. <laughs> Unless I would move to Comedy Central where Kids on the Hall were on. Because I was that much of a nerd. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off. bluenile.com code LISTEN. 
but and hearing the words and now your feature presentation made me a little like oh it brought a little emotion you get hit with that wave of nostalgia and you're like oh god because now you just pop in a DVD or a Blu-ray, and you or can skip all that shit. Or on a streaming or you service. Or just put a streaming movie on. Like, we all know the Netflix, and the movie starts. And that's I it. I miss previews. That's one of the things I enjoy going to the movies for, because I wouldn't know half of these movies, if trailers, if you didn't show them to me, or if we didn't go to see movies in, in the theater. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, watching a tape was beautiful, man. And the black bars on the side, it's like, this this feature is made to fit your TV. And it's like, no, it's a widescreen TV, bitches. It's not going to. <laughs> um, but yeah, the one thing that threw me off a little bit with this versus last week's movie, I wish we could have watched last week's movie on a VHS. This Which, made me more. Technically, we could have because I do have Taxi Driver on tape. But I just we couldn't find it. Didn't wasn't able to find it. I think it's in one of the bins, packed away right now. Too many tapes, Sean. Never. Too too There's, many for the small area that we occupy. No, nah, it's fine. <laughs> Where were we? I'm gonna lose my apartment to tapes. Um. So they meet up with Katrina. Um. And she says that oh I, I came because no one else wanted to. And he's like wow you're. Basically, in old English speak, wow, you're a hell of a woman. That's how I took that upon it. I don't remember the exact, um, I don't remember the exact line. So they find the headless horseman's, the tree and the grave, and Ichabod starts cutting up the tree and noticing that the tree is bleeding. And when he opens up the tree, all of the heads of the people come out, and he's just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> he's like, what the hell? Um, so he realizes, and this is right from what I'm reading, the tree is his portal into the living world and the horseman will continue to take people's heads until the skull is restored to him. Yes, because in this same couple moments here, he finds where the horseman's buried, which is right on top of where the tree is. Yeah, where the tree is. And that the dirt has been disturbed, so he kind of digs it up. And there's a skeleton without a head. Yes. So, I'm assuming that... Oh, no, we're still in the woods. So, while they're still in the woods, uh, Katrina and Masbeth are like, uh, Ichabod, tree's moving, something's happened. And the horseman bursts forth and is summoned to attack. To kill again. Yep. Ichabod gets on the horse and goes, stay here. And he books it. And they, the horseman gets there to the village and kills the midwife, her husband, and what appears to be their four to six year old son. Yeah, like it's a pretty it is brutal, a brutal scene. scene. You don't when see you the think kid. About it. You don't see the kid um, get killed, but you hear the kid scream, and then you see a small head being put into a bag and tied up. Um, so Ichabod tries his best to. And get there quick, but wouldn't you know, Casper Vaughn should have stayed at home, decides he's going, if he hears the scream, and he's going to defend whatever's happening. We did miss one thing. Uh, a couple nights prior, Ichabod was walking home, and this is a big homage to the original story. He is walking home under the cover, or he's on his horse under the covered bridge, and he hears Ichabod, 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 Ichabod. Yeah. So Tim Burton did 
this really cool thing where he actually he worked in several homages to the original cartoon mm. which um is this scene in particular where he he walks into the coverage bridge and he's hearing what sounds like his name being Ichabod. said Ichabod. but it's actually the croaking of frogs yeah underneath the bridge which happens in the cartoon and uh he's then attacked by the headless horseman with a flaming pumpkin yes the flaming pumpkin chases him down throws it at him you know Ichabod is like oh my god and you come to find out it's Casper Van fuck off which I think was I think I've heard before that uh, because that doesn't happen in the cartoon Mm. in the cartoon he gets attacked and I think we presume he dies. Yeah, the something. legend is you have to make it under the covered bridge because the horseman can't go past the covered bridge. Yeah. And Ichabod just gets there and we assume Ichabod dies. But um, there's also been, I think it's like a theory or like a debate bef- uh, that that not, in that story, the, the horseman isn't really the horseman. It's Brom fucking with him. Yeah. Which I think it's really cool that they made that a reality mm. in this movie. But the homages to the original don't end here, actually. There's one more. There is. Yes. Uh, it is. Oh, so it's towards the end of the film when the, the big chase scene is happening. Mm. Uh, during that scene, there's a part where Johnny Depp or Ichabod gets uh, hit by he gets like hung up by a or hit by a passing tree branch yeah and he falls off the top of the carriage and onto the back of the, the horseman's horse yes that yep. happens in the cartoon oh yeah the I remember thing. that yep happens a little differently but it's the same same type kind of, thing. of idea which is I think it's nice that he's putting homages to both the actual story and the Disney classic because everybody knows the Disney classic. Yeah. If you had if I told you, "Oh, do you know the legend of Sleepy Hollow?" Are you thinking of Washington Irving's story or are you thinking of the Disney classic? You're thinking of the Disney classic most of the time. Yeah. Um which The Headless Horseman was one of my favorite growing up. I think it's cool and I've always wanted a statue of the Headless Horseman. That would be cool. And hollow out the pumpkin so I can put a little candle in the pumpkin. And then have a little button that I can press so it can go. (laughs) But it has to be Vincent Price laugh at the end of Thriller. Just the laugh. (laughs) That probably wouldn't be hard to program. I have very specific things that I want decorating my home. All the spoopy things is uh, the short answer at this point. But anyway. Um, So Casper Von Numbnuts. He's going to have a different last name every time because I can't remember any of it. Just like James Vanderdouche. Thank you, How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> um, Jesus. Look, you can't change me. You can try, but you can't change. Um, so, Casper Brutus. I think his name Brutus. Brom. 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 Yeah. Brom. Uh, Brom goes to, like, fight and defend... And Ichabod figures out, he's not after you. Stop. He's not He's not here to get you. But he stands in his way of getting back to uh, his tree. So he literally 
cuts him in half. He rips him in half. Rips him in half. And while I'm going, woo, um, it's pretty devastating to have to wake up to three dead bodies, a whole family, and then this guy, what is that, emboweled? No, that. Uh, what would you call that? Disem- disemboweled. It's beyond that. He's literally ripped in half. Like it's disemboweled would just be your guts being spilled. I mean, his guts are all over that covered bridge. It's yeah. gonna cost a fortune to clean that. <laughs> um, not at that time. Ichabod's wounded, and then from that fight, and we learn that Katarina has been staying up to take care of him. Oh, Katrina. I don't know why I do this. <laughs> Look, the blonde bitch takes care of him. <laughs> I don't know what to yes, say. Yes, by using um, spell work, actually. Yes. She puts some sort of circle thing under his bed, which he discovers. Uh, and might I on- add, add to you, um, when was the last time you saw a tarantula just out in the wild in New England? Never. Um, they find... Ichabod finds a spider in his room. And you're thinking, oh, it'll be like a brown recluse or one of those wolf spiders. You know, we get pretty big. No, it's a full-on black tarantula. I'm like... like oh, okay, sure. <laughs> why is this here? Correct me if I'm wrong. I may be wrong. There might be tarantulas native to this area, but I'm pretty sure if it's negative 10 outside, they dead. Those yeah. are tropical creatures. Um, So... Once he kind of comes to, they're taking care of it, he comes to. Ichabod hypothesized the horseman is attacking people linked to a conspiracy. Yeah. So he writes in a book, four out of five, uh, points to uh, Brutus Von Tassel. Like, he just writes a bunch of random words. But unfortunately, it basically spells out that... He suspects Baltus. Yeah, he's, he suspects Baltus um, at this point. Um, and while he's away, kind of trying to get the information from. Yeah, they go to. Hardenbrook? Uh, Notary Hardenbrook and discover that there was. Uh, a Van secret. Garrett had written a secret will. And a secret marriage. And there was a secret marriage to uh, Widow Winship. So it was signed by. Um, the marriage was overseen by the Reverend. Hardenbrook signed the paperwork. Jonathan had to be a witness. You know, there was the marriage. And now he's sitting, okay, why would somebody do this? Like, who who stands in the way of this fortune? Like, who would the next people be? Um, so then he deduces that all of the victims, except for Brom, were benefactors of this grand will from Van Garrett. Um, unfortunately, um, Baltus and Katrina find his notes. And they call a meeting because they want him out. Because now they're saying, they're accusing, Ichabod's basically accusing them because the signs point to them at this point. Yes. Deduction and logic show it's the Von Tassels that did this. What Von Tassel, he's not 100% sure, but he realizes that he's upset Katrina and she goes to the cabin in the woods. And he finds her there and they have a big they they have a big fight. He finds her burning his evidence. Burning all the evidence, like the will, everything. And she was like, I will not let you accuse my father. If you knew him, he's a great man. Why would you do this? And he's like, the signs point to it. I wish it didn't. I don't want to hurt you like this. Like basically it's like, I'm a stupid teenager, grr, and he's like, dumbass. <laughs> Bitch. Like, why? And I Okay, The Little Mermaid is my favorite movie all-time favorite movie. I love The Little Mermaid. She's 16 and goes with a random sailor human who eats fish. 
Yep. Her dad did not overreact. No. Saying it now. <laughs> I would have destroyed that bitch's house and a statue of him. No. Boom. Bye. See ya. Um, teenagers overreact. Doesn't matter what age you are. From the age of 12, because that's where I think it starts, to the age of 21. Maybe 22 even. I'm sorry. There's a 10-year span. I don't care if teen is not at the end of the name. You are not a teenager until you are at least. You're not... You are not a teenager until you were at least 25. That's when you get out of the teenage years. 25. <laughs> that is my opinion because I honestly thought that. Once I hit 25, 26 and I made some real big girl decisions, that's when I went, oh, I'm not a child no more. 37 years old, still think I'm a child. <laughs> oh, my God. Am I wrong? Do you feel that way sometimes? You're not a child. How many stuffed animals are in this house? Doesn't fucking matter. I spent twenty. I spent fifty-five dollars on stuffed Moving animals. Moving on. I am a child. Um, we find that Hardenbrook commits suicide because he doesn't want to get caught, and Steenwick convenes a town meeting in the church to discredit Ichabod. Uh, but when Baltus bursts in to the the meeting, because he wasn't, I don't think he was going to have Baltus there. Um, he announces that the horseman has killed his wife, but. We never see his wife get killed. Correct. We are told that, um, we are told through through film that he saw the horseman walk up to her with his sword drawn, and that was it. We didn't see it. We don't see anything at that point. And you took issue with this. I did take issue with it because I was like, wait a minute. He barges in saying she's dead. She's dead. You didn't see it. You, like, just bolted. And if he was really going to kill your wife, why wouldn't you help her? I think I have an answer for you. Answer away. So, this scene is pretty chaotic. Yes, it is. Uh, There's a lot in this scene. There's a lot going on. The whole town is freaking out. They're all inside the church, like, trying to... Yeah. Because the horseman's coming. They know he's coming. But the horseman cannot step on hallowed ground. Yes. Therefore, he's trapped. And it's this big... It's this huge set piece where um, they're all infighting. Uh, the truth is kind of coming out. Cause... Yeah, because one of the guys, uh, Palpatine, is like, no, we conspired against you, uh, Baltus. This is what happened. And then the Reverend hits him with a cross. I mean, hits him hard enough that he dies. Yep. Hits him with a cross, then gets shot by uh, Van Tassel. Yeah, Van Tassel shoots Steinwick to stop him from hurting him, but they both end up dying Yeah, right there. And then the whole town is, like, kind of looking at him, and he's basically declaring, like, no, we're going to... We're going to figure this we're out. We're going to figure this out. And the horseman throws a fucking stake through the window. Fence post tied to a rope, killed, like, right through the stomach, drags his ass out to where his head is beyond the fence, and then decapitates him. All while, Katrina is... Has chalk and she's drawing. She's trying to draw the protection she's spell. She's drawing the protection spell. Now, so you took issue with the fact that we didn't see we didn't see her die, but he was like, "Oh, uh, the horseman killed the horseman." He killed says it. the horseman killed my wife. That your issue was the fact that he didn't do he anything. Didn't, he didn't do anything. He just watched her die and ran away. Or watched her die in quotation marks and ran away why wouldn't you help your wife 
Okay, see, well, while we were watching it, it seems like you were taking issue with the fact that- I corrected that... that part because I forgot what happens at the end. Okay. It, I it... had I had two problems with it, and one of them corrected himself. My One of my issues was, well, how the hell, we know she, we know she dies, quotation marks, like, but how the hell did she get away with it if we watch it? And then I realized we don't watch it. And I was like, okay, here's the second issue. That's your wife. Why wouldn't you at least try and help her? Okay. So the thing I was going to say was like, I thought your issue was with why the hell is he going, like the horseman going after her and red herring. No, my, my uh, answer to that was he's not, he was there for him. Yep. But she was just happened to be standing she was in, the way. in the way, in the middle. Yep. So he's coming up to get him, not her. I misunderstood your reaction. No. I, my, your reaction was valid because I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? And then I went, oh, wait five minutes for the plot devices, Leah. Of course. Always wait for the plot devices. So after um, Mr. Von Tassel is decapitated, um, Katrina faints. Katrina faints. She's out cold. Um, we do find out while Ichabod is um, under the weather from his stab and he has the fever that Miss Von Ta- Lady Von Tassel is taking care of him as well as Katrina and says, oh, the servant girl Sarah ran away. She ran away with everybody else. We don't know where she is, so I have to take care of you. Um, like, okay. The night prior to that as well, um, before this whole town meeting happened, Ichabod followed Mrs. Von Tassel out of the house to find her stumping Steinwick in the woods. And she cuts her hand and rubs on his back on like some sort of blood magic, I believe, or whatever. And they're, you know, doing doing the nasty in the woods. Doing the do. Doing the (laughs) do the do. Bitch be stumping the reverend. Man of, oh God, oh God. <laughs> Bad joke. Number God. Two. Yep. Um, and then the next morning after that scene, um, she says, I know you saw me. Were you going to ask why my hand is bandaged? And she's like, don't tell my husband. And there's, I don't have, when the first time I saw this movie, I didn't have any suspicions as of that point. I just thought, oh, she falls in line with all the other stepmother curses like oh it's not her mom so it's just a stepmom thing you know um once all this happens and Ichabod you know wakes up the next morning after her father is killed Katrina's still sleeping and is like well you know I guess everything's figured out now you know everyone is gone you are the woman of the house I'm gonna go you know because they had a big fight and he leaves um Katrina wakes up. She's obviously devastated. Her family's dead. So she's sitting in her chair, you know, as Ichabod is going past the cart and sees Lady Von Tassi's body. But he notices her hand looks weird. It should be more scarred. It shouldn't look like that. It should be healed. It should be at least a little healed. I mean, a fresh wound would look different than a day healed. Yeah. Even if it's not a deep cut. So he's like, okay, a little weird, a little weird. Um, at the same time, these two things are happening. Ichabod tells the driver to turn back around and goes to investigate the body. As 
Katrina turns around and sees her stepmother walking into the room going, stepmother or stepdaughter, you look like you've seen a ghost. And she passes out. Yep. And she passes out. And then you realize, oh, shit. We know who the real bad guy is. Um, so at that point, Ichabod is trying to figure out like what, where, where is Katrina? What's going on? Um, and Lady Von Tassel drags her to a windmill in the middle of nowhere, which I think the windmill is kind of a nice homage to monster movies. Like Frankenstein. Frankenstein, because the windmill is burned down, yeah. which is really cool. Um, and then the villain gives the monologue and gives away the whole plot, which, yeah, you know... She explains that she was essentially... She was the little girl that snapped the stick yeah. on the horseman her all those years name, ago. Her last name isn't Preston, which she told them. It's really Archer. And her father worked for Van Geeter. Van Garrett. Van Garrett for years. But when her father died, her mother and the two girls were kicked out. And Von Tassel and his young bride, and a simp of a, simp of a woman, and their young babe as she says it, moved into their home. That's why there is an archer on the back of the the fireplace. Um, one sister went into seclusion um, pretty much, but she said, my mother was a witch and she taught her daughters well. And she said when she saw the horseman going into the ground, she said she would sell her soul to have him rise from the grave to avenge her. Which is like, damn little girl, are you okay? Do you need Jesus? I think you need a good book. She needed Satan. Oh my God. Um, so whole stories revealed that, you know, she knew of the plot and she knew of every single person that benefited from that will. And as long as she gets rid of her, she benefits from that will because everyone who knew, really knew that she was dead will be dead. Yeah. Because she could just show up and be like, the horseman didn't kill me. That's not me. That was never me. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then ensues, you know, her going, rise up once again and kill Katrina. Oh, shit. So now the horseman shows up. Ichabod is booking beeline with Maspeth. They make it to the windmill. They, they get in there. They get trapped. They escape the windmill uh, with the horseman burning inside of it. Um, they run, 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 run. They make it to the grave. Uh, the horseman's grave. The, the tree. Yeah. Um, and they face off with her. Uh, this is after the chase sequence. Oh, there is a huge chase week sequence between um, Katrina, Masbeth, the stagecoach carriage, two horses, and the horsemen. And I can't describe it to you. It's a little crazy. It's a it, it intense chase. It is intense chase. But they eventually make it where the horseman gets into an accident with the carriage, and they ride the horses to the site um and Ichabod is like we need to basically in his head we need to get the skull we need to get the skull and give it back to him so throughout a big fight everything Masmith knocks Lady Tassel on the head she's passed out um they get the head they give it to the horseman and then the horseman throws his head back not great CGI I mean it's like mummy mummy grade CGI on tape it looks fine yeah on tape it looks great Um, (laughs) I bet you in 4K it would look like asshole oh I guarantee it looks like shit I do not want to watch this movie in 4K for the color maybe yeah that's it Um, and the horseman grabs Madame Von Tassel makes out with her with his sharp ass teeth making her bleed 
drags her back to hell to be his undead bride. Hope you enjoy getting stupped by the horse, dude. I hope that horse stups her too. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hope he bends her over and abuses that woman but for be- what she did to all those people. Beyond that, uh, we flash forward a little bit and... It's the new year at this point. the new year. They have returned to New York, all three of them. Yep. It kind of looks like a happy family, like mom, dad, and son. It's and kinda cool. uh, we get a nice little Beetlejuice homage. Her dress is incredible in that scene. It's incredible. Really cool dress with the black and white stripes. Yes. Um, the girl could wear anything and look amazing. And it just, that's where it ends. Yep. I'm okay with that ending. Like, you think to yourself, they just went on. They lived a happy life. They're fine. It sucks that Katrina lost everything, but she inherited all a fortune. Yeah. And moved to New York with it. Masbeth lost everything, but he can work with Ichabod for his future. Which, in my mind, I'm like, Masbeth changes his name to Frankenstein. Or... or he changes his name, works for Victor Frankenstein, and is now Daniel Radcliffe's version of the Frank of the Frankenstein movie. Jesus Christ! I, set in the same time, <laughs> right? Right. That one was a lot to deep dive into, but I wanted to make sure we got everything because this movie, while fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, the action parts are really like quick, yeah. quick, 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 quick. Um, the build-up scenes build up very well, um, but it's the atmosphere, it's the visuals that really drive this movie. Yeah, and Tim Burton kind of lets this movie be the legend that it is. Mm. Like, he doesn't try to make it too realistic. Um, he, he lets the performances kind of play out almost as if they're acting on stage to mm. an audience. Like, they're a little bit bombastic. They're a little bit projected and romanticized Mm. and I think that makes it a really interesting watch let's see so I'm going to look up some of this interesting info that I have here side note bear with me there's going to be some pauses for me to read stuff but you can kind of split them together Uh, let's see here this is under filming. Uh, the original intentions were to shoot, shoot in Sleepy Hollow. Um, but they decided on Terrytown. Um, I think it's a little ways outside of where that was. Yeah, it's in the same, like, county, but it's not Sleepy Hollow. It's in a neighboring town. So that's where they filmed. Um, they did want to film this in Sturbridge Village in hmm. Mass. Have you ever been to Sturbridge Village? I feel like I have, but so, I can't remember. For people that listen to this that are not native New Englanders, Sturbridge, Massachusetts is a um, home to a place called Old Sturbridge Village. It is a living museum of what New England looked like during the 1790s to the 1830s. Um, everything is still in operation too. Um, exhibits go from um, a tin shop to an office um, to a bank, cider mill, shoe shop, uh, a stagecoach, blacksmith, coppersmith, pottery, 
all of this is functioning. So it works almost like old Williamsburg does. I feel like I might have gone there on a field trip when I was very young. Honestly, if you were a kid in the 90s and the early 2000s, this was prime field trip because it taught you about old New England. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like third or fourth grade, but my grandparents love this place. My, my uh, mom's mom and my grandpa, who's still alive, um, they loved going to Sturbridge Village. And I loved the period clothes and I loved seeing the old stuff. Like it was one of my favorite places to visit as a kid. As an adult, I want to visit it and I want to still see if it still has that same like magic hmm. and i bet you it's just like when i visited gettysburg it kind of loses its magic because oh, you're not sure. a kid um but yeah old Sturbridge village is a big big like tourist attraction in uh new england um let's see what else you will be happy to know that francis ford coppola's involvement in this film was extremely limited he basically his company american zoetrope assisted in producing the film and Tim Burton didn't even become aware of his involvement until he was editing. <laughs> That's funny. Majority of Sleepy Hollow's 150 visual effects were handled by Industrial Light and Magic. Of course. Of course. Oh, do you know there is another member of the trilo- uh, prequel for Star Wars involved with this movie? And who might that be? It would be the stunt double. Mr. Ray Pock. Mr. Um, Darth Maul himself was the headless horseman stunt guy. That's pretty sick. So if it wasn't Mr. Walken, that it actually, was Mr. Maul. That actually makes a lot of sense given uh, how how the horseman moves the sword yes. and stuff around. That's a very that's very much his style of movement. So that that that's very fitting and it's funny it says actor ian mcdermott who portrayed dr lancaster had just finished another leavesden production so this was a leavesden production to where they did film in tarrytown but they had to film on a soundstage in britain um so phantom menace was being filmed while this was being filmed as well oh that's cool um so it it was funny he says Having come from the blue screen world of Star Wars, it was wonderful to see a gigantic, beautifully made perspective sets and wonderful clothes. And also people reacting, uh, recreating a world. It's like the way movies used to be done. And after watching uh, Light Magic and knowing a lot of like facts about when Ian McKellen was playing Gandalf in the Hobbit movies, how upset he was to just be in a green room and not have actors to bounce off. He was devastatingly upset. And it it does make me feel bad for some of these actors in the, the light of CG becoming big in the early 2000s where they didn't have actors to bounce off of sometimes. You will be happy to know that this was the last live action movie of Michael Goff. Michael Goff. Alfred. He passed away after that? Well, he did a couple of voiceover things, like you said, but this was the last, his last on-screen performance. Uh, poor Alfred. Which um, you can kind of tell, he was, he was definitely up there. Oh yeah, he was, you could see like in the, in the, it looked like Ichabod is supposed to pull him out of the cabinet where he is, but 
it, it's more of like Johnny Depp had his hand on him and he fell. So yeah. it looks like he was more guiding him rather than pulling him. Right. Um, and it just, oh, it sucks, man. Where was, there was one about the windmill. No. Ah, the windmill was a 60 foot tall per force perspective exterior. Visible to the highway travelers miles away. Mm-hmm. A base and a rooftop set quarter scale miniature. The interior of the mill, which was about 30 feet high and 25 feet wide with wooden gears and equipped. So it was almost pretty much like a working windmill. Um, comment here said it was scary for the actors who were having burning wood explode at them. There were controls in place and people standing by with hoses, of course, but there's always a chance that something would go wrong. So that that was mainly practical. I mean, and some of those moments are pretty scary because Christina Ricci is wearing this big, huge gown. I mean, if that caught fire, man, whew, she's going up. So as we said earlier, there are a lot of Harry Potter alumni in this movie. Huge, yes, huge amount. Uh, there are actually five in total. So Amanda Richardson, who was Rita Skeeter. Miranda. Um, what did I say? Amanda. Did I? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not the only one. I apologize. Miranda Richardson uh, is Rita, Rita Skeeter. Um, Sir Michael Gambon is Dumbledore. Yep. Uh, Richard Griffiths is Uncle Vernon. There's uh, Tony Maudsley. He voiced um, Grop. I don't know who Grop was in Harry Potter. I think it's one of the, maybe the goblins. Maybe. And it didn't even occur to me, but Johnny Depp plays Grindelwald. Oh, shit. Because <laughs> we haven't seen that movie yet. Well, he plays him in at the very it, end of the first one. At the very end of the first one. No, I thought he was in the second one, too. No, that's where he got replaced. Fuck you, Warner Brothers. No, maybe you're right. He might be in the second one and then he got replaced for the third one. Who plays him? Mads Mikkelsen. How do you explain that to children? Johnny Depp, Mad Mikkelsen. They'll they'll probably do something in the movie where he just changes his appearance with magic. Kids, permanent polyjuice potion, kids. I mean, he does it in the first one, technically. So. Yeah, true, because isn't he, like, there's a flashback to him in the first, like, in one of the earlier movies, and he's not long it up. It's like a different actor, and then at the very end, uh, his spell is reversed, and he it reveals that yeah. it's Johnny Depp. Yep. But that's neither here nor there. Well, five Harry Potter alum, a couple of, a star, a couple of star Wars guys, damn. All got together before Harry Potter was a thing, and... What year did Harry Potter come out? (sighs) Harry Potter came out in 2000, right? The movie? Yes. I don't fucking remember. The book started in the early 90s. Yeah. Harry Potter film series. The first film came out. 2001. November of 2001. That's right, because every Thanksgiving I would go see Harry Potter. For like eight years. (laughs) So much Harry Potter. So, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about before we get into closing questions here? No, I'm I'm very eager to get to closing questions. This one's been a long one. Overall thoughts on the film? I still like this film. There are some problems, um, but to me, this is like a a nostalgic feel good romp. Um, it doesn't add anything like 
mind-blowing to me, but I do like putting this one on on a cold, rainy day while I'm making soup or cleaning the house and just kind of let it play. This one's nice, and then you get distracted, you sit down, and you don't finish what you have to, and you get pissed at yourself because that's life. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> this is one that I've always liked. It's one of my, my preferred of Tim Burton's catalog. Uh, it's always going to hold a slightly special place in my heart because it's one of, if not the first movie I ever saw in theaters. Mm. So this is one that like, I just, I don't know. I can't get enough of it. Like, I think it's, I think he did really great with that. The legend of sleepy hollow and the headless horseman. Mm. He turned it into something so much more, which I think is interesting. And the style of it is just it's like Tim Burton style but set in a period before Tim Burton Burton style would work it adds like a little bit of class to it yeah it's very interesting plus the cast is fucking incredible I don't think you could ever get a cast like this again half these people are dead it's hard like the closest you get now is like Marvel movies Eh, even then like I could take or leave some of those guys. No, but I mean, in terms of like big ensemble casts, that's what we get now. Yeah. Or a Tarantino film or uh, like something like Knives Out. Like there there are very specific circumstances these days where we get these big groups of ensemble actors. Have you noticed it seems like whodunit movies are what get the big ensemble casts? Like, yeah. it's like uh, Murder on the Nile just came out, which I heard is not that great. Those movies. Knives Out was incredible. I'm very eager to see the second one because the only character that carries over is Daniel Craig. Yeah. That's it. And I like that. I'd even like it if Knives Out continues with completely different cast. Just keep the whodunit. There's so many whodunit stories right. out there. Did you have any favorites? What a goose. Straight American, straight American accent. Instead, <laughs> she just says, "Oh, uh, something about um, I, I forget the whole line." But she just goes, oh, "It's um, Lady Von Tassel goes." She's describing the oh, her plot to. She told Katarina. me she had a big secret, and she told me this right in front of her husband. What, what a goose. goose! Straight American accent. I went. <laughs> I love that line, and also, why is her hair perfectly disheveled? Her hair was all up in this beautiful thing, and it's perfectly disheveled. It's a movie. Like, (laughs) couldn't we have at least, like, abused her hair a little and made it not look that crazy? I don't know. It's a fantasy movie. Whatever. But, yeah, face? Um, I think my favorite scene is the the big homage, the covered bridge scene, the homage to the cartoon. Mm. Um, Ichabod. Ichabod. Yeah. Ichabod. But... I don't know. Beyond that, I don't have like specific favorites. Mm. I think the movie is just really well done. Yeah. There's a lot of little details that make it extra special Mm. to me. Does it work? Yeah, this does work. Um, It works in a sense of it's a nice retelling of an older tale, a legend. Uh, I like how it's reworked a little bit to give it a little more of a backstory. Um, yeah, it works. I agree. I think it still works. Uh, I, I don't see any real things that don't make 
enough sense or anything like that. I think Except that one CG scene. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of the plot, like yeah. I think the movie as plot a whole works. works. Weird CG scene. Does CG not. <laughs> doesn't hold up, but what CG ever does over time? Marvel right now. Over time. Over we, time. Over time. That can you, you imagine if so? What was the last thing Marvel we watched was Miss Marvel, right? Uh, Thor. Thor. Thor is incredible looking. The CG is great. Can you imagine in 10 or 20 years where we're like, oh, this is garbage. I can't imagine that. You never can until it happens. That's the beauty of it. Until, you know, it comes popping out at you and slaps you in the it face. keeps improving and keeps getting better. I know. Would you recommend it? Yes. <sighs> Sorry. Yes, I would recommend this movie. I recommend this movie to anybody. You know, it. yeah, it has an R rating, but fuck... It's it's a 1999 R rating. Just it's fine. Yeah, to take it with a grain of salt. This is a nice casual spooky movie. Nice casual Halloween esque movie. Um, if you like like um, New England folklore, or old European folklore, this is a good one. I I like this. Recommend it 100 percent to anybody. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I honestly. I feel like this is something where as long as you're not looking for an exact tonal match, you could pair this up as a double feature with something like The Witch. And yeah, I mean, it could be kind of a fun offset. It's funny because this Sleepy Hollow is next to another Sleepy Hollow over there. Yeah, uh, I have a, a tape called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I think was a made for TV kind of you thing. You pair it with that. You can even pair this with Sleepwalker sitting over there. No. Why not? Why would you pair this Weird with pumpkin head cats? It's all Halloween. It's fine. D- <laughs> no, like Jesus. you could pair this with any Tim Burton movie. The Witch is a great one. But be warned. If you're going to recommend The Witch, watch with the lights on, people. The Witch, I watched it in the dark. And while I love Black Phillip, I love all that, that movie shook me a little. Watch it in the dark. Oh, my God. Don't watch it. Guys, don't watch it in the dark. I'm, but I'm a little bit Live of a bitch. deliciously. We named our car Black Phillip. That's how much I love that movie. Her car's gray. <laughs> how would you make this today? I would not. I don't want this remade. You can't remake a Tim Burton movie like this. You can't. Tim's very unique, very stylized. I mean, I feel like somebody else would ruin it. And that's just how I feel. Case closed. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something like... You can't remake Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Mm. You could make your own Sleepy Hollow. Many people have. And I would probably be curious to see what somebody else does with it, just Mm. to see their take on the story. But I don't think I personally would want to make a Sleepy Hollow movie. Like, I'd be like, ah, well, it's been done the way I like it. So is this mainstream exploitation or other? (laughs) Mainstream. I think this goes without saying. Yeah. This, this is going to be, we're slowly picking, I picked this because this is as mainstream and at the end of our wheelhouse as it gets. I mean, I could probably find a Christmas movie that's right dead on like December 31st, 1999 release, but it wouldn't be the same. Um, I, we slowly want to get rid of the mainstream movies, so we're going to pepper them in and this is one of two of my last peppers in i think i've got another one in two weeks and then another one at christmas time that i wanted to pepper in but uh we're gonna sit down and we're gonna really dig deep for some good 
grindhouse that we've never heard of before. Yeah, I, I think the ultimate goal is to shift us into the meat of what grindhouse actually yeah. was. Like grindhouse films, exploitation films. Mm. I don't think we'll ever completely get rid of the mainstream no. stuff, but like there'll be fewer and farther between. And I think what fueled it was Hack a Lantern. Having that garbage pail of a movie and how much fun that episode really was, how much fun Halloween season of the witch was. Like, I want good garbage movies. Not to say all Grindhouse movies are garbage. I mean, they're not theatrical, amazing blockbusters like, like what we just watched. They're not pretty films. Yeah. <laughs> they're. they're gritty. They're tough. I mean, you got a couple of films up there that I was like, oh, we could do this for Grindhouse, like Faces of Death or the one that you just spent a lot money on. Like one of your white whales. Begotten. Yeah. Like... I want to do these weird, obscure movies, and that's why you and I are going to sit there one day and just go through it. You have no idea how many times we were like, yeah, we'll just add a couple movies at a time, and we fucked up the schedule. Oh, God, yeah, no. We can't do that anymore. No, we fucked it up so bad that we had to shift, like, three movies and figure out others. That's why there are some movies where you're like, why did you review that? Because I had to put something in really quick, okay? (laughs) Because I fucked up. (laughs) All right, I think that brings today's episode to an end. Mm-hmm. But don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for the coming attractions. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such drivel? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. I but lately they're getting out of hand. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? You? 15 cc's of reagent being administered. Once you wake up the dead, you've got a real mess on your hands. Dead? Not anymore. Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life. And not one of them showed any appreciation. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. It will scare you to pieces.
Lovecraft, 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 I love Lovecraft, yes! And this is my favorite Lovecraft. This is not my favorite, but you made me watch this when we first started dating. I think, so I think this is my favorite Lovecraft because it is so fucking off the wall. It and is I know so the, obscure. I don't think the story is anywhere near this bad, but... This movie is fucking wild. And you know what? The story this is based off of is H.P. Lovecraft's Herbert West Reanimator. It is celebrating that story 100 years this year. No shit. That story was... was, uh, This horror comedy film is loosely based on the 1922 H.P. Lovecraft serial novella. Holy shit. So we are going to be talking about this for its 100th anniversary, 100th essentially. anniversary for the novella. Correct. That's amazing. Which I... Guys, I love Lovecraft. It's not because I'm a native Rhode Islander. It's not. It's because when I first heard about Cthulhu and I first read about Cthulhu, I love Cthulhu. I love what the mythos stands for. He is an omnipotent god who doesn't give a fuck who you are, what you do. Oh, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Nope. Gone. If that if that wonderful kraken tentacle-like creature decided he wanted to wipe the earth, wiped it. There is nothing and no one that can stop Cthulhu. Ever. I love Cthulhu. <laughs> he kills without judgment. And you know what? I feel like we need him right now. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we won't be talking too much about Cthulhu. I know. I don't think there's a movie about Cthulhu. There's, oh, no, there's a couple of there's them. There's a couple, but... but... There's, a, there, there's a rumor that the Cthulhu movies are cursed. Because anybody who touches a Cthulhu film, like, they're, they lose everything. So I feel like Cthulhu has, like, a, a, a curse following him. Um, but I, I really love any representation of Lovecraft. And this is great because it's a modern, it's 1985, but it's a modern take on a story by a man who lived a hundred years ago. Yeah. And it's super cool. And the interesting part is that like, I think the short story is only like the very beginning of the movie. Hmm. And the movie is just a complete fabrication by uh, the director, Stuart Gordon. Hmm. And it is a fucking wild ride. It is incredible. But I also want to touch on something about you and this film. What's that? That you made your own at one point in your life, didn't you? Oh, God. That... What what is the title of your two inspirations? We'll get into those during the episode. Oh, baby, buckle up, kids, because I've watched them and I love them. You're the only one that does. I love all of your <laughs> shit. It is so good, and all I have to say is. <laughs> all right, that brings this conversation to an end. Shut up, Leah. <laughs> If you want to keep up with everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. You can find us on Discord where you can chat with Leah about hey. this movie or any of the films that we've talked about. 
or even recommend us some new ones. Uh, listen to us, give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. New episodes come out first thing every Monday morning. If you like what we're doing and you want to show this show some support, you can find all that information down below. You can support us directly through Acast. We have a Patreon. You can get yourself some ad-free listening or unlock some or unlock some special bonus content that we actually just started putting out. Yeah. Uh, first two episodes just released. So if you're interested in hearing more from us throughout the week, you can support the show and get some free stuff. Until next week, I'm Sean. And I'm Leah. Thanks for listening and keep watching. The Headless Horseman will find you. He will get you, and he will bring you a cup of tea. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.